0: Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast brought to you by Social Media Examiner. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. Today, I'll be joined by Robert Rose, and we're going to explore how to use content to differentiate your business. If you think that content is important, but you haven't really been able to figure out how to use it to truly give you a competitive differentiation this is the episode for you you're going to love what we're going to be talking about by the way I am at Stelzner on Instagram and if you're a new listener to the podcast be sure to follow this show so you do not miss any of our future content and now for this week's interview with Robert Rose helping you to simplify your social safari here is this week's expert guide Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Robert Rose. If you don't know who Robert is, he's a content strategist and founder of the Content Advisory, a consultancy that helps brands develop their content strategy. He's co-author of Killing Marketing and co-host of the This Old Marketing Podcast. Robert, welcome back to the show. How are you doing today?
1: Well, I am super psyched to be here. It feels like I just talked to you yesterday, but it also feels like seven years in the same way.
0: (laughs) I know. It's fascinating. We saw each other in San Diego at Social Media Marketing World, but it has been seven years since you've been on the show. And for those that are listening today, what we're going to talk about with Robert is how content can help be your business differentiator. But before we go there, a lot's happened since 2015 for you. Why don't you bring us up to speed on what you've been working on over the last seven years? Because it's been a little while since I've had you on the show.
1: Well, you know, I mean, how long is your show? I mean, we could be here all day talking about me. It's been an eventful 7 years. I mean, not the least of which has been the last 2 years, you know, which of course everybody knows where I was, at least location-wise, I was right here at home. But, you know, in 2015, things were humming along with Content Marketing Institute and it was a year after that that my friend Joe and I, you know, sort of helped navigate the exit strategy for CMI and and it was acquired by a company called UBM and then UBM was subsequently acquired by a company called Informa. And Joe did his thing and rode off into his orange sunset and and is doing all the things that Joe does now. And for me, I still work for a living. And so I still serve and have since the acquisition as chief strategy advisor now, because I am no longer certainly associated with the company as an employee, as a partner of Content Marketing Institute. So still been doing that. So that means, you know, showing up and wearing orange and working at Content Marketing World and you know, hosting webinars and helping curate the event, build the curriculum for the training, Content Marketing University, and all the things that I'm doing. And in my side job, which has now become really my primary job, is I've been really spinning out and building my consulting practice, which, of course, I was doing under Content Marketing Institute, but really have been focused on that the last seven years and building that as a core piece of my business. So it's called Content Advisory. And I've been working with brands all around the world on operationalizing content marketing and content strategy and all the things they're doing. And most recently, I guess the news is I've been digging a little bit into this whole Web3 thing and sort of exploring, building a little bit of a community, which by the time this airs, we'll have launched. It's called Experience Advisors, experienceadvisors.io if you want to go take a look. And I'm having a ton of fun and it's been a busy, it's been a busy seven years for me.
0: Well, and we should also mention that after Joe Polizzi and you, well, Joe Polizzi sold because he was the guy that really owned the whole thing, sold Content Marketing Institute. I believe there was a couple of years where you guys continued to do this whole marketing podcast and then you took a break and then you came back. How was that experience taking a break and coming back?
1: It's a case study in what not to do. I'll tell you that much. Uh, one of the things that as we, you know, we did continue to do it for a short time after the acquisition and then Joe very deservedly wanted to take a year away from technology and work and, and sort of explore his options, spend time with his family. And so, you know, we talked about it and, and we talked about continuing the show even with him on hiatus like that. And we made a decision which in hindsight was great for a work-life balance, but not great for the podcast, which was, you know, we said to each other, look, what we want to do is we want to go out and if we go out and come back our audience will be angry with us but if we go out and say we're coming back they'll be really angry with us and so basically we didn't want to promise anything in other words we didn't want to say hey we're taking a year away and you know we're going to come back because we didn't want to make anybody mad and so we ended the show ostensibly we just said we're ending the show and very, very lovely and wonderful. We had lots of, you know, don't say it so, and we had lots of emails and Twitter posts and all sorts of things saying, don't do it. But we did, we basically put, you know, a little bit of a nail in the ground and said, we're ending the show. And then we had always in the background said, we might bring it back, but we didn't want to do that if we weren't a hundred percent sure. And Joe just wasn't a hundred percent sure, but then he came back and started getting into the swing of things again. And we decided to bring the show back and it's been hard. You know, we've now been back, I think, four years since we reinitiated the show. We started again slow. We started again twice a month, then moved back to once a week.
0: How long were you guys actually off for one year or two years? Do you know how long it was?
1: It was a little more than a year. Yeah. Okay. Just a little more than 12 months that we were actually technically away.
0: What's the lesson there, you think?
1: Well, the lesson is is that you have to be willing to start over. Yeah. I mean, you really have to be willing to start over, you know. We lost probably 50% of our audience right off the bat, right? So it's not like everybody, you know, deleted the icon from their iPhone or their downloads or whatever. It just stopped. Mm-hmm. And most people don't do that though. You know, they sort of just leave it there and then they just know that the new shows aren't going to show up. But when we restarted again, we got about 50% of our audience back. Right away, and then it's been a long climb back up that for that other fifty percent, and we're just now four years later getting to the point where we left off in 2017.
0: I guess the upside is you got fifty percent of your audience back. It's not quite as bad as starting from scratch, right? I mean, that's the good news.
1: Yeah, it, well, it's not bad as starting from scratch,, yeah. but it was the kind of thing where you could just feel the air sucked out of the room. Yeah, it was hard. It was really hard. And were I to do it again and I had a do over, What I would have definitely done is to continue the show on my own and basically hope that Joe came back. Yeah. We would have done it that way. And I think we would have done a lot better. So I think that's the case study. The lesson learned there is if you are thinking about taking time off, going on any kind of hiatus, just understand that, you know, there's a lot of competition for your audience's attention and they will forget about you.
0: Fascinating. Well, I'm a regular listener and I think you guys. Are you once a week or once every other week? What's your configuration? We're right? once a week. Now. Once yeah. a week, yeah. This little marketing. All right. Well, first of all, thank you for sharing what's happened over the last seven years. What I want to ask you now is there are lots of marketers listening to this podcast that when they think of content, they don't necessarily think of content the way you think of content. They might think of Instagram posts or TikTok videos. And maybe that's part of what we're going to be talking about today. But I would love to hear from your perspective Those that are not really fully strategically thinking about the value of content, what do you want to say to those that are maybe not focused on content and what its value proposition ought to be for them to consider?
1: This is especially true. Like, I think we can safely say we're now in the post pandemic world. You know, we are coming back to at least what we remember as being normal, but you know, it's arguably changed forever given the last two years and what we've seen and i think one of the accelerations you know we talked a lot about the disruptions of the last two years but i think the true disruptions have just been an accelerations of things that were always coming and they just came faster because of the various things that happened during the last couple of years and i think what we've seen is that content as a function in business has become even more important than arguably it was in 2018 and 2019 and what i mean by that is that when we think about the Idea of all of us brands as publishers. You know, John Battelle, the founder of Wired, said this. You know, ten years ago, twelve years ago, he said all brands are publishers now, Hmm. and it doesn't matter whether you're a team of one or whether you're a team of hundred. We are all in the business of creating engaging content for our audiences that ultimately some of them turn into customers, and whether that's to deliver content that drives more leads to drive more engagement with our brand, to drive more loyalty with our customers, whatever it is, a company now has to adopt a lot of those processes. What we're seeing is, is that, in many ways, our strategy around social media and posts and those kinds of things were all based on, yay, we're trying to entertain, deliver value, inspire, thought leadership, and all those kinds of things across as many platforms as we could. And Now, it's different. Now, we have to start to establish. Loyalty, And I don't mean customer loyalty. I mean loyalty to the content we're creating so that people want to live and spend time and hold their attention with that content we're creating. In other words, it's not good enough anymore to just sort of grab attention for five minutes while you get somebody into the top 10 best practices post. No, you've got to grab their attention and hold their attention so that they want to subscribe to you so that they want ongoing communication from you. And so that you have that ability because it's just increasingly more difficult to get attention from consumers these days, whether you're a business of one or a business of a thousand.
0: One of the questions that I want to ask is, from your perspective, how do you define content?
1: It's really simple because, and it's funny because I get this question a lot. I especially get it from a CFO or a CMO or a CEO in a company that I'm going into where someone's brought us in to look at their content operation and their content strategy. And they say, "Eh, isn't content too big a word? And I sort of let that hang there for a minute because it is. And, but you just let that question hang there for a second and you go, yeah, it is too big a word, but think about that for a second. What you're actually asking is, is it too big a concept for us to wrap our arms around as a business? And the answer to that has to be no. It has to be that we can get our arms around content. Because in their mind, what they're thinking is content is everything. It's everything we do. And of course, that's true technically. But what we're talking about really is just communication. So how does the business communicate through all of the different formats and channels and types and people? How does it do so in a coordinated, consistent way? And again, this doesn't matter whether you're a small business of three or four people or whether you're a huge enterprise business of 57,000 people. You have to figure out how the business is going to speak and speak in a consistent way across multiple channels and multiple types so that you're drawing in those audiences and creating differentiation and some level of competitive advantage. So you've got to get your arms around it. and so. Content equals communication. So what we're really talking about when we talk about a content strategy is a communication strategy. Now, you might say, well, we have that. We've got a communications department, and they focus in on that. Right? They do. But they're usually focusing on what we want to say. What we need to also focus on is how we're saying it. What are the workflows? What are the governance processes? What are the methods and channels we're using? What are the standards we're creating for our business so that everybody knows how to speak in a consistent and cohesive way?
0: Fascinating. You know, I remember the very first content marketing world, myself and Brian Clark were up on a on a panel.
1: That's trouble right there. You and Brian Clark <laughs> on a panel. It's absolute
0: trouble. But back then it was really blogging, you know, is what content yeah. was. and it's so much more than that now, isn't it?
1: It is, you know, because ultimately it was good enough then because you were very rarely competing with 1900 people who were saying the exact same thing you were right. You know, blogging was a relatively new form of looking and getting, you know, communications from everything from thought leaders to our news and, you know, (laughs) posting up short articles in reverse chronological order was nifty and new and novel and and all those things. And so in those days it was all about search and it was all about answering every question that you could get from your customer and just being that resource, right? Being a resource to be found when people were looking for a particular thing. And you know, Brian made a living out of that, you know, copy blogger and and all of the properties that he's launched has made a living around Becoming the trusted source of that interesting thing. Social Media Examiner is another great example of that. Becoming the trusted source of an interesting thing in the way that people find things. Today, there are a hundred other people talking about your topic. And so simply answering the question isn't good enough any longer. You have to be able to press forward and differentiate in a way that creates an experience That ultimately makes you the favor or or holds the attention or creates exception. And that's the real difference today is that for businesses, their content, their blog, their resource center, their website, it's as important. And I would argue even more important in some ways than the products and services that they put into the marketplace, because it is for most consumers, the first and continual way that they'll interact with that brand.
0: So- Today, I think when we think of content, I think we're talking about long-form content, generally speaking, which in my mind is blogging, podcasting, and video creation, right? You already mentioned one of the problems or mistakes that you see a lot of marketers making, which is to just simply answer the most common questions that people have and call it done. What are some of the other mistakes that you see marketers making when it comes to content these days or their strategy or their thinking in general?
1: I think the the biggest one these days, and I've been on a bit of a tear about this of late, is they're not building anything. There's this idea that you certainly are simply answering the questions, right? I call that settling bar bet content, right? Where, yeah, you might come up first in the search, but as soon as that question is answered from that bar bet that somebody made, they're on to something else. What you want is for people to hold their phone and go, oh, wow, that did answer the question, but really interested in this article and either bookmark it for later or actually you know pause with their friends at the bar and read the article where you want that you want to suck people into that uh, attention span the key however is for a long term content strategy to really work you have to stop thinking about content as an asset or as a singular post you have to start thinking about how am I building a universe how am I building something that where Post number one is better because post number five or six or seven exists. And post six or seven is better because post number one exists. There's a great metaphor that I love for this, which is you look at the Marvel universe, right? So in 2008, Iron Man, it was a fine movie. It was a good movie, right? It was a fine movie. We would not remember it. If I said, name the other movies from 2008 You know that competed with Iron Man, you might be able to come up with one or two, but probably not. But you remember Iron Man as a good movie. But the reason that you really remember Iron Man is because what Marvel did was something amazing. They took that movie and it was the first step in a mapped universe where they created 10 years worth of movies to make all of them better. So Thor is better because Iron Man exists and Iron Man 1 is now a classic because Thor exists. So they built this entire universe that works together where the content raises all of the tide for all of the content pieces that they're creating. When you think about that from a business perspective, you start thinking, how do I start building a universe where people want to come in and live and stay and they want to read something else because it's related to this other thing that I created instead of just one-off assets where we treat content as a campaign, where every day we're sort of reinventing the donut, where we're trying to get more and more and more out so we just keep doing different things. And yeah, one of them goes viral and one of them does okay, but we're not building any long-term value for a body of work, for a complete body of work that differentiates us in the ways that our consumer looks at all the things that they can experience with us.
0: I want to dig in on this word differentiation. First of all, I love this concept of creating a universe because, you know, we are content machines over here at Social Media Examiner and we tend to create just gobs and gobs of content about the same thing. For example, Instagram, we've got endless pieces of content about it. And sometimes it looks and sounds very similar to something we published six months ago. But talk about how content itself done well can be actually a strategic differentiator, because I feel like we should spend a few minutes talking about that.
1: I think one of the reasons that your platform differentiates itself and the reason that Content Marketing Institute differentiates itself and some of the other businesses, HubSpot does a great job of this. You know, There are other tons of brands out there that do a really nice job of it. The secret that they have is, is that they treat their content experiences as product. Mm. And by doing that, you inherently think different about the way that you publish content and the way that it fits into the overall scheme. And I'll give you the contrast of that, which is, Most businesses think, ah, I'm building a resource center. So this week we'll do the top 10 reasons that the industry that we're in is changing. Next week we'll do, let's see, what do we think of? Oh, let's do the top 20 reasons that our kind of product makes sense for you. Oh, next week we'll do, and none of them connect to each other. They're not building a body of work. They're just building like just assets that sort of speak to whatever they're thinking about on a given day or whatever sales is asking for or whatever the CEO says, or whatever thought leader they can actually get an interview with and actually create becomes their editorial strategy. Because when brands look at their content platforms as products, it forces inherently to look at it like, what is our editorial strategy and how are we building a body of work where people want to come in and stay? I can go into Content Marketing Institute and spend hours looking around at different content because it relates to each other. There are different things there to relate to each other with. The brands that are really succeeding here, and this, again, goes to whether you're a company of 1 or 5 or 10 or a company of 10,000, is where the editorial works together in synergy with each other, where you know we want to build audiences that feel like spending time in there. And that's the key difference in how we think of content, not as a marketing campaign, but as a platform or a product where we're building audiences to our content products.
0: I think about the fact that we are a multimedia company, if that word still means anything, but we do publish, for example, this interview is going to be an audio podcast, which most of you are listening to, but it's also a video that we were publishing on our YouTube channel. And we're also going to reverse engineer a co-created article by Robert and myself that's going to read like an article with a podcast player embedded at the end of it because we know that there are some people that learn by watching and some by listening and some by reading. And I feel like there is a little bit of a lesson in there because it's true that different audiences consume media in different kinds of mediums. I don't know. Any thoughts on that?
1: What I would say is is it's amazing to me still here in 2022, how many companies, big and small, don't think like that. In other words, they don't think about, ah, I'm going to do a customer story or a case study. And so how would it, You know, exist as a podcast, a webinar, a PDF, an article on my blog, and sort of leverage it for all of the different places that you want to create this universe and really provide for the best interface, for the best reuse that you possibly can. The number of businesses that think that way are very small. We are trained, in fact, as marketers to think exactly the opposite, right? How do we think of content as marketers? The first thing we think of is what's the container? I need an ad, I need an email, I need a blog post, I need a white paper, I need a TV ad, I need whatever it is. And then we go, great, I need that container. Now the next question is, how do I fill it full of content? And great content strategies start exactly the reverse way. We say, what's the story? What's the content? What's the value that I want to give to the audience? And then get that done in whatever format you can think of, and also all of the other formats that you would want to put that in because what's great about what you just said is if we think about all that stuff a priori, in other words, before we actually go execute the thing, we know that we need to set up a video thing to have the video, you know, recording. We know that we want to talk about this topic, even though we're going to edit it out of the podcast because we want to have it for the article. We know that we want to actually ask for some photos of, you know, the person that we're interviewing because we want to include that as part of the article that we're writing for the blog. We start assembling very much like a movie director thinks about shooting all the scenes they need to shoot out of order and getting the coverage that they need, for the content that they need, because they know they're going to cut it up a million different ways.
0: Did you know that we can deliver awesome marketing info directly into your inbox? Simply subscribe to our weekly newsletter that comes out three days a week. You won't miss any of the updates going on in the world of social marketing. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash updates. I love this, and I think a lot of people are connecting with this. I would love to talk about this universe of content. So many people, I think, understand the Marvel universe, right? They understand why Disney paid what they paid for Marvel and how that is basically more than probably 100x the value because of the way that they've created all this amazing content, not just in movies and comics and everything you could possibly imagine, animations, series. So what do we need to be thinking about If we are to take this concept of creating a universe of content, how ought we consider it? And maybe we either talk about a little bit of the process or some examples that come to mind so people can wrap their head around this a little bit, because I think a lot of people are like, this sounds really cool. Give me a little bit more.
1: Yeah, I'll give you a little bit of both because (laughs) process is perhaps the most unsexy thing to talk about ever in the history of all business. But the key thing that we see missing, and again, not to belabor this, but it's true. I see it in solopreneurs and I see it in enterprise level companies. And you mentioned this a bit when you talked about you know, all the different ways that you're going to reuse this piece of content, which is the missing link in the process is planning and prioritization. We just don't plan and prioritize anything as businesses when it comes to content. Every idea that comes in gets executed in most cases, right? CEO wants this, it gets done. Sales wants that, it gets done. These people want this, it gets done. We think of a cool idea, it gets done. There's no planning or prioritization around content. Thus, every content team I've ever met has always been behind the eight ball when it comes to getting their work done. I call this Robert's content law, which is the need for content directly increases correlated with the number of people assigned to it. Meaning you will never scale to the need of content. I don't care how big your business is. This is why we see so many of these content studios failing in large organizations because you cannot survive as the internal Kinkos to an enterprise content strategy. You'll just never have as many people as you need. So you have to start to plan and prioritize in order to create something that is going to become Cohesive and coordinated like a content universe. That's the process part. The second piece to what you said is who's doing this really well. And the group that I continually have to come back to is what the Cleveland Clinic does. What Amanda Todorovich over there has done. Now, keep in mind, they do marketing stuff. You know, she is the marketing department for Cleveland Clinic, the hospital. So they do stuff like, posters in the hallway and update the doctor's office hours and make sure the About Us website is working just fine. But the reason they have all of the bandwidth and resources to be able to do that at scale is because they treat their two main content islands, which are their health library and their health essentials blog, both of which, by the way, make money. They are revenue generating properties for them. And They also serve as one of the chief ways that, you know, it's their brand flagship, right? Health Essentials blog is truly Cleveland Clinic's brand flagship as it generates millions and tens of millions of page views every month. It's one of the top health destinations on the internet. The reason it works and the reason that they've been able to make that content work so well is because they created a true editorial process and a true look at both of those things as platforms. That gave them plenty of headroom and bandwidth to be able to do all the stuff that they have to do sort of to, you know, make the donuts, which is to keep, you know, the doctor's hours office updated and do ads and do banner ads and do, you know, new photos for the about us part of the website and all the stuff that they have to do as a marketing team. And it's just truly an operation that has scaled beautifully.
0: I want to come back to the Cleveland Clinic after I go back to this planning and prioritization of content. I want to dig a little deeper on this. Like, give us some thoughts on like, some people like have no idea where to start when it comes to planning their content and prioritizing, like, what exactly does that mean? Like, I would imagine there's got to be a little bit more to it than that, because especially in a bigger organization, there's going to be so many competing interests. So how do you decide which content is the prioritization, right?
1: Yeah. Well, let's be clear. If the CEO wants it done, it gets done. Right. (laughs) There's that part, Right. right? They have special dispensation to ask for things. You know, mostly what we find is that when you put in a planning process, there are two things that really help. One is giving a group, whether it's your content person or your content team, teeth, right? The ability to say no. What we mean by that is is that we just have to recognize that not every idea that goes into an intake form or the idea box or the email to our content people, or whoever is actually responsible for creating all this stuff, not every idea is the best idea. And nor should every idea be its own unique little unicorn as well. And so the first step in doing all of this and getting sort of unoverwhelmed by the thought of, again, content, oh my gosh, content, you mean everything? No, let's talk about just first, maybe thought leadership, or maybe let's just talk about marketing content, or let's talk about PR content, Whatever sort of segmentation makes the best sense for you, just get our arms around that. Second thing is, I often use the metaphor of air traffic control. The first step of air traffic control is just to know all the planes in the air. So it's really, can you create a process with your team so that you at least provide visibility for everybody, creating that content calendar, if you will, of all the planes in the air, of everything that we're doing, literally documenting everything that we are responsible for doing currently. That list alone will make your your leadership like go, okay, all right, we see the problem now. And so once we have visibility into all the planes in the air, now we can start talking about how do we direct them in the best way? How do we actually start saying no, combining these projects, making this better? And the pushback, the pushback to all of that, and I've just watched it happen, is Your salespeople, the people who depend on you to produce this content, all these people that depend on you to produce this content, what they're going to immediately say is, wow, sounds like you're really going to slow down the creation of process. And the spoiler alert answer is, yep, I sure am. I'm going to slow down the creation by adding planning and prioritization to the creation of content. Guess what? I'm going to more than exponentially make it up in all this content reuse and the ability to populate multiple channels with multiple versions of content. Just exactly in the example that we just talked about with us in this interview, by being able to say, before we even started this interview, that you knew that you wanted it in four different or five different formats. Now we've got population, now an editorial calendar for the blog. That's set. Now we have an editorial for our podcast. That's set. Now editorial calendar for our YouTube channel. That's set. Great. We now have assets for that. And we've thought about one piece of content and how it's going to get created in multiple ways. Getting all of those airplanes directed to the right runways is the second step. And once you start doing that, then it's like, okay, we can move beyond thought leadership. Now we can move to marketing content and advertising and PR. We can sort of expand out our flower, as it were, to bloom across the whole business.
0: One of the things that I've been experimenting with Many people know that I have multiple shows. So we've got this show, the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I have the Crypto Business Podcast. Then we have the Social Media Marketing Talk Show. Hired someone full-time to take over the Social Media Marketing Talk Show. But what I decided to do with the Crypto Business Podcast is it's an interview show. But one of the things that I noticed is I have been learning a lot, just like you have, Robert, about what's going on in the world of Web3. So I went to my team and I said, what do you think about me just doing a behind-the-scenes, what I'm learning because I've got these interviews scheduled out a month to two months in advance, and I'm learning rapidly. And I said, what if I just share what I've learned? Like for example, when we launched our own NFT and it's not super scripted. And the key to the whole thing is I am going to actually bypass some of our normal processes. We're not going to make an article out of it. We're not going to make a video out of it. It's only going to be audio. I'm going to push the button and I'm going to talk and it's not going to be perfect. And I'm going to tell everybody that it's not going to be perfect and there's no show notes. And I put it out there literally today, Tuesday, April 26th. But I asked my audience a very important question. I said, if you want me to continue with this raw, authentic behind the scenes content, you must message me on Twitter or Instagram. And boom, they've been messaging me all over the place saying more and more and more, please. So what I've done is I've given myself permission and given my team, like they're out of the difficulties, right? Like we're going minimum viable to get this content out there and we're going to see if it works. And if it works, we're going to do more of it, but we're still going to make it direct just for the audio audience Of course, I'm the CEO, so I can get away with this kind of stuff. But (laughs) is there anything to this experimentation strategy that I just threw out there? Any comments on that?
1: Of course. I mean, there's a wonderful interview that I heard. This is back when Jon Stewart was still doing The Daily Show. And he was being interviewed by Terry Gross from NPR for her show. And one of the things that she said to him that has always stayed with me is she said, You do a daily show about the news, you know, it must just be made up as you go, right? Because the news is coming in literally as the day is progressing and you're writing this show in real time. It must just be chaotic there. And he said, Absolutely not. In fact, it's exactly the opposite. It's as regimented and ordered and filled with process as you can possibly imagine. He said, What that does, he said, is down to the minute we have it timed for various things that we're doing throughout the day to put the show together. He said, but what that gives us is flexibility. He said, because now we can break the rules. So if something comes in, something wild comes in, something we want to newsjack, something we want to absolutely take advantage of, we have the ability to improvise, to actually break the rules. Because there are rules, we can break them. And that experimentation is just something that I've seen happen so many times with brands Once we know all the planes in the air and can organize ourselves and really have a good sense and visibility and transparency into our content generation, prioritization, and production process, well, now we can go, yeah, I got time to try this new weird thing that you want to do, or yeah, I don't have time to try this new weird thing. We should outsource and bring in somebody new to do that, or at least we can make much more solid business decisions about how we actually can improvise. So I've just watched it work. So great process builds flexibility in a very sort of unintuitive way.
0: Perfect. Now, the key is prioritization. So you helped us really figure out a great process, and you talked about this air traffic control analogy and giving your team teeth to be able to say no. But there's got to be a little bit of analysis going on here. How do we decide when a new idea comes in? Let's assume it's not coming from the CEO, but it has a lot of merit. How do you decide when to create some new form of content on top of what you've already done? Do you have any wisdom as far as properly prioritizing what should be accelerated versus what should be put to bed?
1: Yeah. The mechanism I like for that is this is especially true in larger organizations that are by nature going to be more matrixed and siloed and you know, lots of dotted line reporting structures and all those kinds of things and where there is buy-in necessary for prioritization. And the mechanism I really like for that is some form of group. Now, whether you call it an editorial board or a center of excellence or a leadership council or whatever it is, that whoever leads content as a function, as a strategy for the business helps to facilitate, and again, whether that meeting is monthly, quarterly, once every six months, you know the cadence is really you know independent of your particular business. But I really like that looking at it as a group effort, as a team effort to say, here's all the planes in the air. Let's as a team decide what are the priorities and what are the plans for each of these. And where we can do some horse trading and figure out, okay, I'll wait on that. If you wait on that, great. And be able to sort of put all those things together so that everybody's bought into the plan. Just like we would a marketing or sales plan, a content plan should have the same level of buy-in from that group. And if we can do that as a separate meeting, fantastic. If we can do it as a collaboration online in Slack, great. Whatever the mechanism for you to do that. I like that cross-functional leadership committee or whatever you want to call it.
0: Well, and I would imagine sometimes it's really important to figure out what are we going to stop to make room for what we want to start, right? Well, yeah. This is really important.
1: That's exactly right. Yeah. One of the things that I close my workshop with, as I say, you know, as you go forward from these days and you start thinking about all this content you want to create now and all the things you want to do, what I want you to do is stop for a minute and I want you to ask yourself a question, which is. Let's pretend on Monday morning you stopped everything. I mean, no more social posts, no more, you know, updates, no more blogs, no more website updates, no more emails, no more, you know, clubhouse, no more Twitter spaces, nothing, no more content, full stop. Who would call you and say that they missed it? Like who would literally call up the, you know or email you and say, oh, I miss your Friday afternoon Facebook posts or, oh, I miss that cat hanging from the tree saying, hang in there, baby. Or I miss you on your show on Clubhouse or whatever it is. And if the only answer to that is our boss, then we know that we can stop for a minute and take a moment and start planning and prioritizing because we're not creating content that people will miss. And that's what we have to be. It goes all the way back to our top of the show where we talked about our podcast. One of the main reasons we brought it back, Joe and I, is because of the level of response that we got when we ended the show. That was the one positive thing that came out of it was the fact that we got hundreds of people who emailed us, called us, and badgered us to say, we really missed the show. That was our canary to say, we should bring this thing back.
0: Cleveland Clinic, just give me a couple of minutes on what is their health library? And why is it working so well versus their health essentials blog? Just help everybody understand this. I mean, obviously everybody can Google it, but from your perspective, it sounds like you understand it pretty well. What is it? What's the differentiator there?
1: Yeah, I think the the true differentiator for what they've done there is to add in uniqueness, right? So this takes a little bit of explanation, but basically in that field, there are services out there. That have grown up over the last, you know, going back to what we were talking about even, you know, 10 years ago, eight years ago, seven years ago, where what you were trying to do was answer every question. So when people Googled, what's diabetes, or when people Googled, what's asthma, or how do I deal with asthma, you wanted your hospital, if you specialized in that, to come up, right? So natural sort of SEO strategy. So what ended up happening was there was a lot of companies that started creating very commoditized sort of how-to, FAQ types of answers on everything that you can imagine existing in the medical field. And many hospitals sort of opted into that. Others copied that idea. They basically started building in FAQs and articles about, okay, what's it mean to have diabetes and what does high blood pressure mean and how does I quit smoking and all the health-related things that you might expect to see. And again, driving traffic, driving engagement, driving findability for those particular ideas and driving a brand. So Cleveland Clinic took a little bit of a different approach to it. In addition to their health essentials blog, which is much more proactive health, dieting and exercise and all those kinds of things, they wanted to create a differentiated library of what you were dealing with. Really go compete with the web MDs of the world. Okay. And so they started creating that kind of content originally getting medical professionals, getting subject matter experts, and really going deep and well into these subjects to differentiate on the quality of that content. That got them, yes, good SEO, but even more importantly, when they started sharing it across social and they started sharing it, generally speaking, and people experiencing it, they kept those people because those people were like, this is now better than WebMD. This is better than this other health information I'm getting, and it's different. And that was what really differentiates them. And now, because they're so good at it, they're getting paid to do that. So they can do ads, and they can do sponsorships, and they can do things that are, that are helping them monetize that content. And guess what? That feeds the quality of what they're able to invest in, in terms of developing even more. They've really built their own sort of mini WebMD business into the Cleveland Clinic content strategy.
0: Absolutely fascinating. Robert, if people want to check you out or your business, you know, do you have a preferred social channel and also uh, where, where would you want them to go as far as the website side of things? (laughs)
1: Well, the reason I'm smiling is because, you know, Twitter?
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) Question mark. My two preferred social channels are, are Twitter, Robert underscore Rose. I'm on Twitter and then LinkedIn. I'm a huge believer in LinkedIn. Would love to connect. I'm a big connector on LinkedIn. So love to connect on LinkedIn. Those are the two places I spend the most time.
0: Well, and if people want to check out your consultancy, where do you want to send them?
1: That's my website. You know, the funny thing is we actually decreased the size of it. It actually polished up our rock a little bit. So suffering a little bit of cobbler's kids there, but now we're back. We're back and shinied up. It's contentadvisory.net.
0: Awesome. Robert Rose, thank you so much for coming on and sharing all your insights with us today. I know we're way better because of it.
1: Oh, well, thank you for having me. I mean, let's not make it seven years in the next time, but as always, it's so much fun to hang
0: out. Hey, if you missed anything, we took all the notes. Simply head over to socialmediaexaminer.com slash 513. If you're new to the show, be sure to follow this show. If you've been a long time listener, would you let your friends know about us? I am at Stelzner on Instagram. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of this social media marketing podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelsner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the best out of your day.